All right. Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Data for Subscriptions podcast. This time running live on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Bera Donian, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Mylin Jappé to the show today. Welcome, Mylin. Thank you, Bera, for having me. So, Mylin, you head up the subscriptions business over at Acer, and you've done so from the initiation point. So I am looking forward to you kind of setting the stage by introducing yourself as well as a bit about Acer before we go into the uh, details of our discussions. Yeah, thank you. Um, Mylin Jappé, um, with Acer for the last 15 years, before and more line functions, always cross-functional, and now for the last good four years, heading up everything that is subscription-based for EMEA. What do we mean with subscriptions? I think we hear a lot about um, software as a service. I think a lot has been written about the stories of Adobe, et cetera, how they moved from um, real licenses to subscriptions. But when starting off, it was like, okay, what is this? What is device as a service or everything as a service for a manufacturer like Acer? Acer being one of the top five, top six PC OEMs worldwide, mainly focusing on, um, on consumer business, but also on B2B business. And so it started off with, we were hearing that everything as a service, device as a service was going to be the next next big trend, mega trend shifting industries. But it was really about, okay, what is this? Is it a leasing construct? Is it software as a service? Is it a combination of both? I think we've seen a lot of parts on virtual products moving into subscription, but little yet um, on hardware or equipment as a service and what kind of complications that brings with it from fraud management to reverse logistics, all what virtual products don't have. And this is, yeah, what I'm into for the last four years and trying to build it up, navigating like a startup in the corporate world and bringing innovation alive. Thank you. So this is what we're going to really double down and focus on uh, during our conversation today. And why, so why don't we start with you articulating what were the specific objectives when you set out? And perhaps if those objectives have shifted over the four years, you're welcome to elaborate on. So we started with this, these objectives and then now these are the objectives where we're at right now looking forward. I think it developed from initial objectives to understanding what this market trend was and how we could play a role. So more understanding dynamics, conceptualizing, testing different pivots, um, and now having evolved more into a real full circular economy solution. So how we, can we also bring the products back and how can we drive ESG goals through everything as a service or can contribute to um, a lower footprint um, on the planet? Was there or is there a cannibalization risk of existing one-time sales or product sales when you kick off a subscription model? I think it's we need to compare two different things. When we compare transactional sales, it's sales and the objectives, of, of course, for every one of us to maximize revenue and to maximize um, number of units sold. When we do look at subscriptions, this is a starting point. 
And when we look at industry research that says that revenue is made with a customer on multiple times the revenue of a hardware product itself, there are so many services around it, like insurance, um, like reverse logistics, like data wiping at the end of um, the subscription, that it actually opens a totally new door of new revenue streams if you can monetize them. Let's talk a little bit more about what you're offering. So you already mentioned, of course, the fact that Acer has a leading position when it comes to send, selling PCs and associated hardware. But run us through from a subscription perspective, how does the offering look like? So when we set it up in the beginning, the idea was, okay, we want to have devices as a service. What is devices as a service? It is a PC. It then a customer could choose additional accessories, monitors, peripherals, so that we have more like a workplace. Then adding to that, what kind of other services does someone need um, to actually not think about the PC? There are things like um, support services. What if the product breaks down? Do I want to worry about it? Or do I want to have it replaced within 12 hours, within 24 hours? Do I want to have a replacement machine in between? Or can I wait? So um, those kind of services. Then services such as insurance, fraud and um, theft insurance. And then also at the end of the lifetime, what happens with the products? They're coming back to us. Acer is the only vendor that runs their own service operation. So we have service centers across Europe. When we ship the products back into those centers, they can be first data wiped. I think everyone is concerned about data leakage, especially as a company. It's um, So we certify that the products have been data wiped give that back to the um, end customer, then refurbish the goods and bring them to a second life, whether that is recycling or um, maybe secondhand products for other markets. And uh, please walk us through as well your pricing structure. How is that set up? So of course, do you have a flat fee, pure usage base or hybrid combination? How does that look? I think the idea is when you look at hardware, the idea was like, okay, let's go a software usage-based. What can we do? We really saw the potential of, of data that could be collected. Mm -hmm. But when we look at maturity of the markets, we still see that it's compared a lot to traditional leasing products. And that is a financial calculation, especially when we only talk um, hardware. People are still comparing prices of a PC to the monthly rate they'd be paying. I think we now, after almost 25 years in the car industry, car industry reached a majority point in leasing where they only communicate on monthly prices rather than on the full amount. They rather say, okay, can you afford 500 euros a month? They would never communicate now on 80 or 90,000 euros for a car anymore. And we're still at the starting point on PCs where we say, okay, what is actually the product cost? But when, what are then the associated services around it? <laughs> when we look at the, what is, are customers willing to pay for a workspace, for an employee, for productivity, hardware only plays a part. They want that the hardware works 
there's software associated to it. They maybe even want training on the software. And when you then package all that up into one solution, then pricing um, can get very interesting. So am I then to understand that currently, I mean, even though you see, first of all, potential to have pretty interesting and sophisticated pricing structures uh, associated with specific customer usage, you're not there yet because of market maturity. So today yes. it's more of a flat fee subscription based. Okay. Yes. That being said, if you compare it to before you entered your subscription business versus now that you are, even though you're running, may we call it basic subscription, has this business allowed you to learn more about your customers' usage needs behaviors? Yeah, I think it's actually if you in a transactional business, we're looking at selling as many products as possible and we sell and we almost forget until it's up for customer renewal, but we don't have end customer data. We um, don't know what the use case is except bigger tenders. When it's about subscription, there's actually more interaction because you have monthly billing. Maybe you already don't have one bill not paid, so you reach out to the customer, what's wrong? You reach out several months before the end of the subscription, say, what do you want to do? Was anything missing? Do you need more? Do you need something different? So you get to those customer interactions that otherwise we would not be having or we would have via market research, but not this direct um, understanding of customer needs and then really addressing those. And we see that customer loyalty or stickiness significantly increases. Once you have a customer subscribed, customers are coming back asking, okay, I would need this or that for the front desk. I would need this for data crunchers. So uh, having those conversations really turns the traditional world upside down. Do you track the usage of uh, customers over your products? You mean technical on the devices? Yeah. I think technically a lot would be possible. Looking at data protection in Europe, um, this is a bottleneck, so we're not. But I can definitely see that in other parts of the world on metadata already being used more. Yeah, I think the potential of learning from customers' usage is huge. Being able to adapt, even if you don't want to monetize, of course, you can use it as to your previous point, you're trying to learn based on your subscription kind of setup. So you can act on it. Of course, usage provides so much more granularity and there are many good examples of how you can adapt and proactively engage with customers to provide whether... Um, more bespoke personalized offerings or whether you want to make sure that you can upsell, cross-sell or avoid churn. But I do understand, I think there's a challenge of anonymity that one needs to manage. From that, I wanted to ask you one question that maybe you can articulate. If, from a customer perspective, would you be able to articulate the value proposition for buying a, a you know the hardware versus the subscription in what sense if you want to if you want to kind of sell that to me in what way one 
is better than the alternative? I think if you're looking to buy a product, the value proposition is you get specifications X, Y, Z yeah. um, for the best price. Here, I think it's very comparable. It's a commodity market where we definitely see there's a, um, so I would say you get the best Acer product with those kind of specs for that price. If we look at a subscription, we're looking at enabling you as a customer to get your work done in the best possible way. And that is tailor-made to your needs and we don't let you down. So it's more a promise over the time of usage rather than the specifications of the product. And it's interesting because for sure, most of the conversations uh, we end up having from DigiRoss perspective with customers across is usage in particular definitely moves the conversation over to outcome-based or value-based pricing. In fact, uh, value-based pricing is an age-old term, and nowadays we use the term usage-based, but it's still the same. It's that it moves the needle. And I like how you phrased it is that it you move from buying specs, which is commoditized, to more of a value-based uh, dialogue with the customer, i.e. enabling the customers. I'd love to ask the question to customers, are, how much are you willing to to pay to make your employees more productive? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think uh, you should to your customers and see, I mean, that's that could be a gauge for you when it comes to kind of finding the right price point, which also is difficult, especially with uh, regards to usage meaning that it's, it's a challenge to understand how do I find the right threshold and the willingness? Would you have a guess yourself, a range? My first question would be, would you pay every one of your employees a coffee a day to be awake at work? Would you put a bottle of water on top? And if that then that combination makes a difference, whether your employee is productive, happy about the latest technology, then just take that budget and put it in a monthly subscription for a PC. And what's the price point of your, uh, of give me uh, for the different devices, just give me like three different price points. What do you have on the monthly subscription? Depending on the product, I think you can find something Worst? for around um, 20. Euros a month. Yes. That's and not a higher. bad, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, so that's an entry point uh, that's uh, an laptop entry and then, point. exactly. And then the high, the. 60, 70. That is less than a coffee and a water a month, uh, per day. On a monthly basis, for sure. Yes. Especially if you calculate on a Starbucks uh, coffee, then I think you'd be. Then I think we can put the Porsche on top. Yeah, you see, you have a starting point. Great stuff. I want to talk a bit more about the uh, the back end now because having understood your journey over the four years, understanding clearly how you need to pivot so that you have more of a long-term relationship and move the conversation to more of a value-based uh, dialogue and offering. That's all sitting flush with, I think, what generally what most companies want to do. But one of the hurdles, I would say, Mylon, is that your quote to cash and your data management backend 
typically are not set up to do the subscription journey. So I wanted you to take us back to how did it look like and what were you thinking about your quote to cash setup in the beginning when you decided to do the subscriptions journey? I think what you're saying, our company set up for that. Okay, revenue should be tracked with a ERP. This is, I would say, the first assumption everyone has, especially if you're selling and reselling products. And with a ERP, you see what your revenues are, you see what your OCOCs are, and you see what your profit is. That's a one-time transaction. So today when you sell, you know exactly how much your costs were and what your profit is. With a subscription business, you're looking into the future. If I'm only judged by what is the profit or the revenues I'm making today, I'm leaving out all the potential of the future. So I think we, in the first steps, we understood that subscription management is a different one than transactional sales. However, underestimating the amount of data that would already come with a simple subscription that we are running. You look at one overall bill for one of transaction that maybe even goes via payment gateway where you don't have end customer data because the customer is not registered. In a subscription business, you first need to know when your hardware is involved, you need to know who is this customer. There are leasing constructs in the background. So we are entering a regulated world of know your customer. So we need much more data, registry, passport, etc. And then we're talking purely from a billing perspective, we're talking about maybe 24 to 36, 48 times the amount of invoices of a transactional sales. So already on the billing and then on customer interactions, what is the install based, where are the products, what are the serial numbers, um, maybe even going into some more mobile device management um, and asset management of companies, it blows up quite quickly what amount of data you need to have to actually deliver a service to the customer rather than selling just a product. I'm always using the example when a customer calls one of our service center because there's a problem with the product, I want that the service agent on the phone immediately knows that this is a as a service subscription, that he, for instance, cannot ask for a purchase receipt because there's none. He, he needs to ask for um, the subscription number. All kind of this backend data to make sure that customer value service can be delivered needs to be thought, even though started starting on a small scale, needs to be thought through right from the beginning. Gotcha. How does your quote to cash structure look like today, Mylan? If you want to just walk us through. We're looking at from a from a system point of view, we're looking at a big subscription management platform um, running Sora and then um, 
different systems connected to that, but out of the traditional legacy systems. Gotcha. So obviously, which is typical, I mean, Acer has been around for a long time, producing and selling. So naturally, you have a quote to cash infrastructure in place to be able to manage with that one-time transactional sales. And this is very common, what you describe, is that then when you start a subscription journey, you kind of have to connect in a dock into that existing system. But today, if you're using Zora, how do you manage for this quite complicated data backend with the amount of data volumes and complexity that you uh, explained? We're leaving it out of the traditional systems. We're consolidating on a high level only. <laughs> so a subscription management platform like Sora um, serves as a sub-ledger. Mm. And we're managing all around that. Does it end up being quite uh, resource intensive? I think the setup needs to be thought through in the beginning so that a lot of the data is automated, that you don't need to check, okay, did we produce X number of invoices? Is the monthly bill right? Um, I think there's a lot of power in digitalization automation, but the data setup needs to be the right one for the use case. How can we check? How can we make sure that everything from quote to the end also, going into the bank is actually all aligned and with all the double checks in place. So here you're speaking about auditability and data quality, of course, making sure that everything is right, right? How much would you say is, uh, if you would put your kind of, on, a, on, a, on an approximation, how much is manual versus automated in your operations today? And where would you like to take it? I think there's one, okay, how much of the current operations is automated? Um, there are still manual works where we still need to figure out, okay, what the market demands um, to have the flexibility. I would say we're automated where the processes are clear and validated. We're keeping it hybrid where we're still learning and pivoting, adjusting. Then what do I see for the future? I think the more data we collect, the more power I see in delivering more value to the customer without the customer yet knowing. So really becoming more and more proactive, um, helping the customers being a consultant on their IT infrastructure. I think that that's where I see data going and also then potentially um, marrying with other data sets that you can get. What would you say, Mylan, if you look at a reasonably ideal uh, near-term scenario, what will be the two, three things that are the biggest challenges that you think one needs to solve for? And let's stay still. I think you nailed it so well when you spoke about just with, in relative terms, basic subscriptions, the amount of data, the volume, and relative complexity that exists. So then back to the question, what are the two, three biggest challenges and what, how could idea look like for you in the near term? I think short term to midterm that mm -hmm. actually organization coming from transactional 
sales understands the power of that data. I think it's still part of this entire digitalization journey and then also potentially how to link in more AI capabilities to give access to the organization to see, okay, what can you actually do with that? Looking forward, okay, I see already in the transactional sales, I say, I start January 1st with target X and I start from zero. I can now already predict or can already tell sales, look, in 2026, I have customer XYZ, I have that install base. We need to look at six months before whether the customer wants to renew, whether he has different need, what product availability is, what we're doing with the products that are coming back. Um, so that looking into the future and not starting the, the year with zero, but already with a number almost in your books or to work on. I think bringing that kind of level of awareness into the organization, that would be one of the next steps. Because coming from transactional sales, you look at PL revenue, costs, and profit, and that more or less by quarter of financial year. So if I now tell someone, in that transition and uh, transactional world, look, I can already tell you what we're what we're expecting to 26 to 27. It's unheard of. I think those are great points. To kind of mirror that back for you, in terms, you spoke about how different it is to sell subscription versus one-time sales, and the way that you phrased. The organizational challenge again here is i think quite on point like, not something that i would say acer necessarily is unique with this it's in fact seems to be more the rule than the exception what's interesting with you is that um especially with your 15 years in acer that you came into uh, the initiative uh, being able to see what the requirements of the subscription business is so I, I, one thing that i wanted to ask you was you outlined quite clearly what the requirements of a subscription business is. Did you mitigate for most of those before you embarked or was this something that you discovered and adapted to along the way? I think there are new doors and new surprises every day. So it's, that's why I said at the beginning, it's a startup in a corporate. You need to pivot constantly. It's a journey. But I would say capture all the data right from the beginning that you can get a hold of. Maybe they don't seem relevant, but they become relevant at one stage. I'm lucky to have a team member who's extremely eager to get all the data um, together and even collect it manually until you can show the value that there is also a need for optimization. Um, but I think sometimes it's small things. It's like a date when the products were shipped, when does the contract start? Um, who signed? Who did? Who was the decision maker at that time? All those kind of also CRM or sales oriented measures need to be tracked in order to connect to that previous conversation that you had with the customer to build a long lasting relationship and to then also service 
provide the service that we want to uh, provide. So one question I have still related to more of the system landscape and process management and so on and the whole data backend. I'm curious, Mylin, since you operate within uh, a manufacturing company um, specifically, and one of the questions that I consistently see is a little bit challenging for people in your position is whether to kind of build for a lot of these systems and tools themselves internally, or whether you should lean towards best practice tools in the market. And I'd be curious to hear your view, although maybe it's not a black and white necessarily, what would you say is the preferred way to set yourself up successfully for running a subscription business that also, as you already alluded to, wants to lean towards more usage base, which requires even more capabilities? I think it depends on the resources that you can allocate right at the beginning. What do you want to prove first? Do you want to prove that there's a market for the solution that you want to bring to market? <coughs> so for this first MVP, I would, looking back, maybe go for as much manual as the organization can digest in order to show the first wins before asking for investment. At the same time, it gets quite fast out of manageability. It's especially when we're talking subscriptions, we're not breaking up the revenues of transactional sales today is maybe 36. We're not saying, okay, it's one euro per month for the next 36 months, but more or less, yes. If I come to a finance person in a transactional sales organization, they will tell me, look, I'm interested in the revenue today and you're asking me for, instead of 36 euros today to make five times the effort to book your one euro every single month. So I think here finding the right balance between how much can you stretch the teams without telling you to get out of the door, um, showing the potential of the solution and then automizing quite quickly. But I think already right from the beginning, having the framework and being aware that there is a big monster waiting for you that you better address right from the start. I think that's a great piece of advice because, and I just second what you said, is that although you can maybe get started and you can try to squeeze out as much as you can from the resources you have and just managing manually, quicker than you think. And that's actually a good thing because the volume that comes quicker than you think actually speaks to the fact that your business is ramping up. But quicker than you think, you suddenly get loads of data and then that becomes a bottleneck because you're sitting with the resources in the manual processes, which then prevents you from your main objective, which was actually to drive and accelerate your subscription business. So Mylon, I want to ask you now if we can, zoom out from the four years that uh, you've been running this. Um, what's your vision and the next frontier for Acer's subscription business? Now, we spoke about uh, the ideal setup from our quote to cash and system landscape, but then we spoke about um, short to midterm. Now I'm looking for, if you stretch the horizon a bit, how does it look like? I think going back to the point that I mentioned in the beginning that we're looking at 
partially regulated business that is financing. I'm seeing a lot of traction movement in the venture capital space on fintechs that are evolving to, to finance equipment in a different way. So I think that is a huge potential going forward. Um, and seeing that put into action, what kind of subscriptions can we then really drive on any kind of hardware? What do I mean? Um, today we're looking at, we're relying on more traditional leasing contracts of typical 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. But what if we find fintechs that can actually give OEMs the possibility to provide flexible subscriptions like software? What if I, as a user, can say, okay, I have 10 contractors for the next six months and I just want to rent the workspace for them and I want to have everything managed outside. So I think that's a big potential on um, in the fintech space. Then the further we go into this journey it's the more data we collect the better we know our customers. I'm curious to see how AI plays a role to automize, to suggest, to um, extend contracts or finish them earlier, how to bring, and I think that is a huge potential when it comes to the refurbishment space of circular economy. How can we really drive secondhand markets? And we're seeing more and more players in the market that are offering besides the new products, refurbished products. We're seeing legislation in Europe changing to have in public tenders in some countries a certain percentage of refurbished products. So I think FinTech, the entire refurbishment market. And the third part, the more electronics or IT industries move into this subscription-based business, what does it actually mean for supply chain long-term? It means predictability. The moment supply chain means, okay, you receive an order and you need to produce against the timeline that the customer gave you. If I now can already tell you in 226, 227, that amount of orders are expected or this is what we're working on, I can drive supply chain differently. Maybe I can, I can go and say six months before, uh, we are overstocked. We provide special promotions to customer to refresh early, or we're seeing shortages and we're already preparing customers to use the products maybe longer um, with special services on top. So I think those are the three big things that can drive equipment as a service or everything service to the next level. Fantastic. Those are some great insights. Before we round off, Miley, I'm going to take a question that has come in uh, from one of the listeners. And this one uh, reads like this. Have you already used dedicated customer success managers for your subscription customers, or are you planning to do so soon? I think it's a good question. Also, what is customer success and what is service? 
if we're looking at a transactional linear model, there's sales and there's after after sales service in case of warranty, etc. When we're looking into real subscription, there is no after and before. It's a circle. So it's almost that after sales, what we call after sales today, should become kind of a success manager providing proactive service. We don't have um, customer success managers in place yet, but it's definitely one of the points um, for the next years to look into or how to frame it. Great, thank you. So as a final set of questions, knowing what you know now, Mylan, as a piece of advice for anybody who wants to follow suit, what is the one advice that you would give with regards to organizational skills that you need to set yourself up for success? As, and what is the one advice you have when it comes to the technology as the, and the system capability that you need to set yourself up for success? So one advice for each of the vectors. I think organizational, it's get full backup from the board. This is not a small change and it's going to take time. It's a transformation that takes ten, six to 10 years. If someone asks you to run a subscription business to show results within the next year, I wouldn't sign it. It takes a lot of pivoting, a lot of trust that you're allowed to fail, fail, fail again until you figure out what is working, what is not. And I think it needs from an organizational standpoint, someone who can cross-functional connect the dots because it's not a marketing program. It's not a sales change. It's a change from legal to finance to IT. Um, so it, touches all parts of the organization. From the tech stack, I would have all my radars open what is happening in the market at the moment. I think there are a lot of new players, whether it's in the fintech space coming in, um, but also subscription providers depending on the markets, what kind of business model do you want to run to look then for the right tech stack? There are some smaller players and some markets that can be very strong, have a lot of market insight or some more global players, but then you need to drive localization and insights into those markets. Fantastic. Mylin, thank you very much for this conversation i really enjoyed it thank you and thank you for everybody tuning in